This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Wow, you have a train whistle. Yes, today is the 150th anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad in 1869 at Promontory Point in Utah. This is the third in a series of episodes about transcontinental walks or runs across America. This episode is fitting because I will tell the untold story about Zoe Gaden, a female walker, who during her historic 1890 transcontinental walk in New York, walked the length of the transcontinental railroad from Sacramento, California to Omaha, Nebraska. The most famous of the transcontinental women walkers of the late 1800s, and perhaps the first, was a Spanish-American world-famous actress, Zoe Gaden. Here is her amazing story of her walk in 1890. Zorica Gaitoni Lopez Ares, or Zoe Gaden, was born in about 1854 in Madrid, Spain. When she was about four years old, her father became a political exiled immigrant and they came to New York City. Zoe Gayton started performing in the theater at the early age of 14 in Tennessee and then joined a company in New York City. Zoe Gayton married at the age of 18 years old to a famous rich man, John H. Church, who was the owner of the Golden Gate Theater in Oakland, California. He had many wives, some of them at the same time. Zoe toured with him in South America. They divorced in 1873, and Zoe then went through a series of other marriages as she continued to perform. She later joined companies in the West, performed in many places, and took a company to perform in Hawaii. Zoe Gayton became a world-known equestrian actress impersonator who traveled performing a four-act play based on a legendary poem, Mazeppa by Lord Byron. In the plot, Zoe, played by a male character, Mazeppa, a horseman and page for a Polish count. When Mazeppa is caught in an affair with the countess, he is tied naked to a steed and set loose. The terrifying scene in the play is when Zoe is bound to a horse in scant clothing and rides on planks to the theater ceiling. It was much like a circus act. One newspaper described it this way. Zoe is strapped to the side of her barbed steed and ascends the precipitous runs to the flies in the roof of the theater. It is a very exciting scene and never fails to elicit tumultuous applause from the audience. Another paper wrote, Besides possessing a clear and pleasing voice, she has a splendid physique and a graceful movement. In 1882, Zoe Gayton performed Mazeppa in England at Queen Victoria's new Royal Theater. As she was touring, Zoe was arrested for stealing things at a boarding house where she was staying with her manager, William J. Marshall. She took tan tablecloths, a silk velvet cape, a shawl, an umbrella, a lace scarf, and some other items found in her possession. She was convicted and sentenced to four months in prison. In 1884, in deep financial trouble after performing in Alabama, she raffled off her famous performing white Arabian steed, Gypsy, to raise money to pay off debts when her theater company, quote, went to pieces. Zoe had performed all over the world, including England, Scotland, France, Spain, Germany, Australia, India, Peru, and all over America. 
But her years of success playing Mazeppa finally came crashing down. In 1885, her company was bankrupted, performing in Kansas, and her personal luggage was sold off to pay debts. In 1886, Zoe was traveling and performing again, but in a new role in the military drama The French Spy. She performed for the next few years in upstate New York, Illinois, and Canada. But by 1889, her company had folded and she was out of work. A new play had been written for her, but no one was found who wanted to produce it. She was desperate to get into the limelight again. During the summer of 1890, Zoe Gayton, with others, were talking in a hotel dining room in San Francisco. George H. Clark, a well-known sporting man and a heavy gambler, told the story about two young men who on a wager rode horseback from New York to San Francisco, averaging 15 miles per day. In half jest, Zoe said she could walk in that time. Others disputed her bold claim, and it evolved into a large wager by Clark. Zoe later admitted, I've always been lazy and never walked a block if there was a cab or a car in sight, yet I had made the statement and so I determined to stick to it, to the letter. My friends tried to dissuade me, telling me that it would be the death of me. In 1890, Zoe Gayton, at age 36, shocked the theater world when she accepted a $2,000 wager plus expenses to accomplish a transcontinental walk from San Francisco to New York City in 226 days for an average of 15 miles per day. Her manager, William J. Marshall, would accompany her and support her along the way. Joseph L. Price also would go along as a witness for the wager and make sure she didn't take any rides. Zoe Gayton's journey began in San Francisco without, quote, noise or flourish of trumpets, with a train ride around the bay to Oakland. She was up front that her walk officially started on August 28, 1890 at Oakland, California, and she walked 26 miles the first day. Her route was nearly exclusively on railroad tracks, and they obtained permission from the railroad companies ahead of time. Through the west, from Sacramento to Omaha, she walked on the historic Transcontinental Railroad that was finished in 1869. Zoe Gayton, Marshall, and Price were accompanied by two dogs, Zoe's Beauty, a Cocker Spaniel, and Lion, a Gordon Setter, a fine hunting dog. Near Lathrop, California, Marshall shot a duck. Lion went to fetch it, but when crossing a train trestle coming back with the duck in his mouth, a train struck the dog. The next day, he died. Zoe's trip was nearly stopped early near Stockton, California. I was caught on a railroad bridge, and while there was plenty of room for the train to pass, I took my dog Beauty in my arms and jumped into a marsh, a distance of 14 feet. I was not hurt at all, but was all covered in mud. On September 2nd, Zoe arrived in Sacramento in what the newspaper called a tramping effort to gain fame and dollars. A few days later, they arrived in Colfax, and it was reported that Zoe was getting stronger every day. There was fruit along the tracks, and we could get plenty to eat. The road has a nice gravel path between the rails. When asked what they ate, Zoe replied, We fished, and I tell you, mountain brook suckers are good when you are hungry and tired. We shot quail and jackrabbit. Zoe even shot at an antelope in the Sierra Nevada and didn't know what to do with it. We got some good meat off of it, but no vegetables. We went for 16 days without even so much as a potato. 
Near Clark's Station, Nevada, they had a scare. Zoe recalled, We usually had all the apples and oranges and apricots we desired, but this time we were short in fruit. Mr. Marshall went to a certain orchard to procure some when he was discovered, and the angry farmer shot him, but fortunately he was only slightly wounded. I always carried my rifle and revolver while out west. As for their supplies at first, they packed tea, sugar, bacon, butter, two blankets, one knife, and one fork. They brought bread along the way. Lots of people took us for tramps, railroad hobos, and wouldn't give or sell us food. I had offered as high as one dollar for a loaf of bread and didn't get it. After one month, Zogaton was in Winnemucca, Nevada, five days ahead of schedule. Her journey was getting attention in the newspapers across the country. One night, she badly sprained her ankle near Rye Patch, Nevada. Her companions carried her to a ranch nearby where she stayed for four days, carefully taken care of by a couple of ranch hands. After those days, even though her ankle still hurt bad, she tried to go again. But after three miles, had to take refuge in a deserted ranchman's hut. We stayed there for three days longer. They had difficulty at times finding water in the desert, and each of them had to carry a canteen. After leaving Battle Mountain, Nevada, there was no house seen for three days, and they went without food. They only carried small hand satchels. As they were approaching Elko, Nevada, We sighted a small hut four miles away, and Mr. Marshall made for it. When we got there, we found it deserted. He made a search of the place for food and finally found a small piece of bacon, about two inches square. I don't think I'd ever enjoyed anything better. At times, they used stray railroad ties to construct shelters to get out of the wind and the storms. In mid-December, Zoe Gaten arrived in Silver Creek, Nebraska, and was about 14 days ahead of schedule. Local newspapers started to be more consistently cover her arrivals in their cities. Readers were captivated to think that a lady brought up in, quote, luxury and refinement was taking on this challenge. As she walked, she wore full-length skirts, even though they were a bother when the wind blew. I started out with bloomers. They were comfortable, but I looked like such a guy that I got a regular plain skirt of this gray flannel, a black armless jacket, and a plush cap. Now that they were closer to towns, they stopped carrying so many provisions and gave up their camping life. In Nebraska, her manager, Marshall and Price, used a horse-drawn buggy at times. Price usually walked all the time. When not using his buggy, the older Marshall would sometimes catch a ride on a train while Price walked. Zoe made sure that she stayed ahead of the 15 mile per day average. Up to this point, she was being successful walking 20 miles average per day. Her biggest day was about 34 miles. She didn't walk every day. They were delayed by storms and took days off, requiring her to do bigger mileage days. Zoe arrived at Omaha, Nebraska on December 19th, and the next day crossed the Missouri River and stayed at the Revere House. Not everyone considered her attempt as heroic. One newspaper in Kansas wrote, The craze for notoriety still pervades this country. Those who are thirsting for it seem willing to resort to anything to obtain it, and there are as many women as men in the throng. A paper in Delaware predicted that after she completed her walk, that she would be hired as a pedestrian freak in some dime museum. On January 6, 1891, Zoe and her crew arrived at Davenport, Iowa, and the next day crossed the Mississippi River into Illinois. One observer said, They were an unpretentious three and made it a point to stop at private boarding houses where they attract little attention. 
In some places there were large crowds at the stations to see me, and when I could not dodge them, I had to pass through the ordeal of answering a thousand questions and shaking hands with hundreds. On January 14, 1891, Zoe Gayton arrived at Chicago 20 days ahead of schedule. She had gone through several pairs of shoes and said, I had walking shoes made for me and they blistered my feet so that since then I have worn nothing but common pebble goat shoes half-soled. Her preferred shoes were high-laced, two sizes larger than usual, with studded nails in the soles. Media attention became more intense, and because of all her railroad traveling, they called her the Queen of Ties. On February 6th, more than five months into her walk, Zoe Gayton arrived in Detroit. Reporters gathered at the place she was staying. She explained that she was getting tired. At first, I was very eager for morning so that I could get started, but I am getting over that now. You have no doubt seen men driving cattle along some roads and noticed how weary the poor animals looked. Well, I feel just as the cattle appear, just as if somebody were driving me with all their might. A Detroit newspaper dispelled the idea that she was a lovely woman in a short skirt tripping along over railroad ties and dodging express trains with a vigorous little shriek. After allowing the effects of exposure in the weather, Zoe could not honestly be called good-looking. Regarding danger, should a tramp molest Zoe, he would subsequently regret his boldness. Her right arm could fell an ordinary man to the ground. No, the danger is delusion as well as the beauty. When Zoe left Detroit, she crossed over the Detroit River by ferry and entered Windsor, Canada. She next walked on the Michigan Central Railway toward Buffalo, New York. Zoe and her company started to be called the Sunset Special by railroad men who passed by them often. On February 25, 1891, Zoe Gayton crossed the International Railroad Bridge back into the United States and was met by a huge company on Niagara Street in Buffalo. The bridge operator said she was the first woman ever allowed to cross the bridge on foot, and he hoped she would be the last. Once in Buffalo, It was almost impossible to get along owing to the numerous handshaking. A cab was finally hailed, and the weary pedestrian was bandied in and driven to the Stafford House in Buffalo. It is presumed that she will start from the point where she took the cab. It was written of her, she looks as brown as an Indian and strong as a young colt. She moved about with the agility of a cat. Marshall expressed that he was very appreciative toward the railroad companies. Men have been very kind to us along the route and have shown much interest in the trip. Nearly all the employees of the different divisions were kept informed of our whereabouts and often as the through trains passed us on the plains, where we were the only human beings in sight of the passengers for hours, handkerchiefs would be waved at us and frequently flowers and other presents thrown from the train. To win the wager, Zoe needed to arrive in New York City by April 8th. Her walk between Buffalo and Rochester in early March was very hard. The snow drifted and the wind blew terribly. She took much longer than expected for the 80 miles between the cities and arrived in Rochester on March 4th. Crowds of spectators were getting bigger. After a 26-mile walk to the small town of Palmyra, New York, crowds came out and a reception was held in her honor at Clemens Hall. 
On March 20th, she arrived at Albany, New York with about 160 miles to go. She soon started to struggle from headaches and had to take a day off. Her feet were doing fine and the end was coming close. She trudged south through the Hudson Valley on the New York Central and Hudson River Railroad. Her last night was spent in Irvington, New York, with about 22 miles left. It was reported, As soon as she reached the hotel, she sank down into a chair. The tears sprang from her eyes, and she lay back in the chair completely worn out. She felt better, however, after she had partaken heartily of supper. Shortly after supper, she retired to her room. Zogaten crossed over High Bridge into New York City and was met by an escort of five mounted policemen and about 300 others who led her to the Grand Central Station, the end of her journey. Banners were hung in her honor. An open horse-drawn carriage took her to the Police Gazette newspaper office where a reception was held. It was reported, When she reached her destination, a more weather-stained, weary-looking woman was never seen. She was covered with dust from head to foot. Zoe went to stay at the Ashland house, where visitors were turned away. Doctors advised that she rest for two or three days. It was observed that her feet and limbs were swollen much larger than normal. It was believed that she was having a nervous prostration for the past few days and had not been able to sleep or eat. She was asked if she would ever do it again. Not for the world. When I left San Francisco, my hair had no gray in it. What you see there now are due to the strain I have been under and I had all I could to keep from breaking down. Zoe won an estimated $12,000 that is valued about $355,000 in 2019 dollars. A terrific fortune. Zoe had walked a total of 3,395 miles in a little over 212 days. Along the way, she stopped for a total of 46 days. When she started out, she weighed 163 pounds and finished weighing 139 pounds. Her achievement was published for days in the newspapers across the globe. However, there were skeptics. A newspaper in San Francisco shared false reports that she wasn't known by the theatrical people there. They again speculated falsely that she never performed much during her acting career. They didn't believe that she started from their city. It was also alleged by some that she had taken trains between many points in the West, appearing only occasionally at obscure railway stations. When approached about these accusations, Zoe's eyes filled with tears. I tell you candidly that this talk of my not having made the trip is maddening. The station agents and trainmen along the line can testify whether or not I made the trip. All I want is justice. She challenged her accusers to put up or shut up and produced news articles from California that were published during the early stages of her walk. Did so Gaten really do it? With all the news stories left behind, the evidence seems to confirm the accomplishment. The largest gap in news stories was in Utah, Wyoming, and Nebraska, where the population was very sparse along the railroad lines. Without taking rides on trains, they would have had to receive significant help from the Central Pacific and Union Pacific Railroads. The story of her accomplishment was published in just about every newspaper at the time, and you would think that the railroad employees would come forward to dispute the story, but they didn't. 
A couple weeks after Zoe finished, she, her dog, and her two companions were hired for a few weeks by a dime museum to sit in a display made up to look like one of their western camps. Dime museums were centers of entertainment for the working class. P.T. Barnum and others established these museums in New York City. Zoe and the others hired on with Huber's Museum, which at the time featured acts such as a sword swallower, a half-man, half-woman, and magicians. Many of these museums became scams and were despised by the upper class. If Zoe had won such a fortune, why did she hire on with this museum? It did not help persuade some people to believe that her journey took place. But in fairness, some of the opposition was clearly because she was a woman, that she claimed to do something that people thought was improper for women to do. It was advertised around the city that, quote, Miss Zoe Gayton, the pedestrian, and J.L. Price, one of her companions, would be married on the stage at Huber's museum. But the bride and groom didn't show up, and the crowd had to instead watch the performance of a snake charmer and an iron-jawed man. Zoe was fired from the museum for not showing up. Zoe Gayton soon organized her own dramatic company, Zoe Gayton and Company, performing Mazeppa again. Price was her manager. In February 1892 at Columbus, Ohio, Price was hiring a treasurer for Zoe's company and required a $25 deposit from the person that he hired. It was discovered that Price hired two men and was called a fake. The men went to the authorities and an arrest warrant was issued. Zoe's property was to be taken to compensate the men. It was reported, When Constable Scurry attempted to serve the papers, Miss Gayton pulled a revolver and chased him from her apartment. Policeman Wolfel took the revolver away from her and her trunk. Price was arrested by the police authorities. A few weeks later, Zoe opened at Minneapolis, Minnesota, playing her old role of Mazeppa. Apparently, the company quickly failed. A month later, Zoe joined a traveling novelty company that played at towns on the road, and she was highlighted as the transcontinental pedestrian, but that also quickly failed. With her failed attempts to return to performing, on July 25, 1892, Zoe Gayton returned to walking and started a journey back to San Francisco via a southern route through New Orleans. She hoped to cover it in 160 days. She was again accompanied by Marshall Price and her dog Beauty. After two months in September, she arrived in Atlanta and said she needed to reach San Francisco by February 4, 1893. You can understand how I enjoy a soft bed. I seldom touch one. We generally camp out where we halt. I was attacked with chills and fever the day I crossed into Virginia. Mr. Marshall thinks that I contracted the malaria passing through New Jersey. She reached New Orleans in late October and put on a show racing Henry Clink, a champion short-distance walker. She became sick and lost 23 days, but in November she was back on schedule in Galveston, Texas. Nothing more was found about this walk. Did she finish? It is doubtful because no news was found about her passing through cities or finishing. But a statement was found in later years that she claimed that she finished this second transcontinental walk. Given her health issues and no press coverage, one must be skeptical. On June 9th, 
1895, Zoe Gayton began a walk around the world, starting from Seattle, Washington. She planned to reach New York in 100 days. Marshall supported her. Over the Cascade Mountains in Yakima, Washington, the news commented that she appeared to be big and strong and Marshall looked really old and slow. The news predicted that Marshall wouldn't make it out of Washington. A man, V.H. Sutton, started out about July 1st from Seattle and vowed to overtake Zoe and do his own walk around the world. He lectured along the way and sold pictures. At about that time, Zoe passed through La Grande, Oregon. She evidently made it as far as Green River, Utah, but stopped, quote, because of a hitch in the proceedings. Sutton only made it to Portland, Oregon. In February 1896, Zoe Gayton was hired to do a stunt for spectators to walk a mile every hour for 500 consecutive hours in Salt Lake City, Utah. Her dog Beauty walked with her. She walked on an indoor track that involved 13 laps to a mile at the Continental Market Hall. Zoe's first 50 miles went well despite catching a cold. Spectator attendance increased each day, especially among the ladies. In the evenings, other events were held, such as a five-mile race, tug-of-war contests, wheelbarrow races, wrestling, club swinging, and obstacle races. After completing her 350th mile, it was reported that Zoe was, quote, becoming worn with exertion and is not making a good time as formerly. She quit at mile 356 when she developed an acute attack of pleurisy and a fever. Her excuses for not finishing included that the hall was not properly heated and, quote, her quarters were wholly unsuitable, being only partially partitioned off from the big hall. But her 356-mile accomplishment confirmed that she could walk 24 miles a day for a very long time. Zoe dropped out of the news at that point, and in 1903, she was almost totally forgotten. Newspapers at time would bring up her story of her transcontinental walk and thought she was a man instead of a woman. She married John Hall and was living in San Francisco with her father-in-law when the great earthquake of 1906 hit. She survived but lost all her possessions, including all of her clothes. On March 9, 1907, Zoe Gayton died at the age of 53, penniless in Omaha, Nebraska. Some new claims were inserted into her obituary. It claimed that she and her parents were in a box at Ford's Theater the night that Abraham Lincoln was shot in 1865, and she also witnessed the murder of a financial wizard, James Fisk, in 1872. It also claimed she accomplished two transcontinental walks, her second from Atlanta to San Francisco in 156 walking days. It must have been referring to her 1893 walk that appeared to end in Texas. It was said that Zoe Gayton died from nervous disorders that were incurable as a result of her experience in the San Francisco earthquake. The legend of Zoe Gayton nearly totally disappeared into obscurity, but in 1941, a dramatized version of her story appeared on the radio show Death Valley Days. Death Valley Days. In this version, Zoe was denied a Broadway role because she was an unknown. She declared that she would get there if she had to walk and wagered $2,000 with the producer. Zoe won the bet and skyrocketed to success on Broadway. Well, she never played on Broadway, but Zoe Gayton did walk to it in 1890. With that, this is Davy Crockett 
and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. Thank you.